0: A long-awaited truth, a distress signal has been received by Johnny Squadron, led by Ground Control, only to meet up with Jim Bob in the Spooner system. Ground Control has been dispatched to investigate the origin of his savage memes and eventually regroup on Earth. Jim Bob is an American satirical cartoonist whose crude and often hyperbolic depictions reduce complex social and political issues to their core principles. Meanwhile, Johnny and Raylene, while successfully obtaining Click Maloney's secret plans, rush to the planet of Scotlandria. Johnny and Raylene's mission is to meet up with Anthony Samaroff and to put plan into action and deliver the final blow to the state. Will our heroes sleep, find Jim Bob, and implement the savage memes? Will Johnny and Raylene deliver the final key to Anthony Samaroff? Stay tuned to hear Jim Bob on episode 48 on Blast Off with Johnny Rocket. Directly from the launch pad. (laughs) Bringing blue collar to your cell tower. The rock and roll libertarian himself. It's time to blast off with Johnny Rocket Hey, this is Blast Off with Johnny Rocket I'm here with my ring truth Miss Rayleigh Lightheart Bam. Hello How are you? How Ray? are you? I'm good, doing great uh,
1: Me too Oh my gosh, are we both
0: good? Yeah. I just got back from the Libertarian Ohio convention. Yeah, uh,
1: I heard uh, Kim killed it, I heard. She
0: did really well. She did really well on the uh, debates and uh, really excited. It was great to meet some of the great people in Ohio, good people Mm -hmm. out there. And uh, went and saw the, uh, there's a place, I I used to watch MASH, Raylene.
1: I know, it's one of your favorite shows. I think it's your favorite show.
0: Well, yeah. I I watch it quite a bit when I, you know, I have the DVDs and stuff, but there was a place called Tony uh, Paco's or Paco's, I I can't remember Paco's, and it was Klinger's Hangout, and he always referenced it in the show MASH, and so I thought it was pretty cool, because I actually got to go there to where, you know, Klinger's Hungarian hot dogs were, you know, where he (laughs) he always, like, advocated for it, and it was really good, it was really cool, and just hung out with some great people, hung out with Vermin Supreme, as a matter of fact. Irony. Yeah, the irony because we just actually did a a Vermin Supreme uh, all nighter on the show. But yeah, I hung out with great people. I hung out with Adam Kokesh and Mm -hmm. Arvin Vora. It was just fun. We had a great time and it was a good experience. Great. I love that. How about you? What did you do?
1: You know what? I actually hung out in a tent all weekend and uh, Uh, just, uh, I did a lot of good family stuff. No one wants to hear about it, though.
0: It was great. It's family stuff. So whether it's an editorial cartoon or a late-night comedy show, political satire is able to inform audiences while adding just some much-needed humor. It's been part of mainstream media for centuries, but has taken many forms over the years. But what about political satire that goes against the grain? Satire that challenges the system. That goes against dun, 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 social justice. Today we're talking to cartoonist Jim Bob about his political cartoons, the impact he's made, and his new book, Savage Memes, Volume 1. Jim Bob is an American satirical cartoonist whose crude and hyperbolic depictions reduce complex social and political issues to their core principles. Jim Bob lived in Los Angeles, California for 15 years, I'm sorry, which exposed him to the many characters and situations he draws today. Now he resides in Colorado with his family. Okay, Raylene, prepare for liftoff. Copy that, Johnny. Covers, tie-downs, and grounding cables.
1: Removed as required.
0: Communications connected. Check. Preamps in the green. Check. Cold beer. Double check. Thrusters are hot!
1: Raylene, are you ready to rock? All systems go, Johnny. Let's blast off with Jim Bob! like every night before? I'm all got a i up my just can't help yourself, I drink a sip of thought. You just blame me, it's all my fault.
0: Welcome to the show, sir. What an intro.
2: Definitely the best intro I've had in uh, this whole time.
1: Wait till you hear it with the sound effects, bro. Oh,
0: oh yeah. (laughs) We we pride ourselves on our goddamn intros. Jim Bob, thank you so much for being here. You know, I got to learn more about you after I talked to our mutual friend, uh, the vice president of the Launchpad Media, Mr. Alexander Meyer. And he introduced me to your content and the stuff you're putting out. And my God, it is fantastic. I mean, I, I've, I have laughed. Last night, I got the book. You actually sent me the book through the mail. And I just was outside on the patio smoking, reading this thing. And I got through it in about 20 minutes, 15 minutes maybe. I'm not that slow of a reader. But it was wonderful. It, it's really good. I mean, it really makes a statement. And you are going against the grain. 100%, you're going against the grain. My question is... Did you want to do this? I mean, I, I always start off with obvious questions, and Raylene picks it up with the good questions. So my is the introductory question, but like what I'm saying is, what got you into this? Like what made what what inspired you to go ahead and start doing these satirical cartoons that are making fun of the social justice movement? That's really your your target. I mean, that mm-hmm. they are the enemy in yeah. this in your books. Yeah. What made you do this, man?
2: Well, I started in comedy um, in L.A. I did comedy for like two and a half years or something. So the the muscle of, uh, you know, observational humor and premises and truths and stuff was kind of practiced into me. Mm-hmm. But I was you know what? I wouldn't even say I was left leaning. I was just part of the, the sheep herd there. So I, I never really even questioned my ideology politically. I just mm-hmm. assumed being on being in L.A. and being super left. Was the right thing to do? It was all symbolic, and then um, I think I started criticizing like Obama, who I voted for both times, (laughs) and uh, and I started to get a reaction from my peers and the people around me. Uh, They really didn't like criticism. You're making him look bad, Um, and I was like, wow, this I'm onto something. Like the resistance is what you need if you're in commentary. You need to find what you can't say. You need to find the The targets you're not allowed to hover over. And so I knew that early. But as far as memes, it started actually uh, doing, I did a really shitty uh, Game of Thrones meme that went super viral. Mm. It wasn't political, it was a very simple uh, meme of Aria at Starbucks. And she says a girl has no name for the, you know, the woman's (laughs) waiting for the cup. That thing went super viral. So the the little, the part of me that was trying to seek that viral drug again—I did that for like a couple months—and I realized that that's not the right way to go about art or meme making in general. Is you don't right. have, you don't try to make something viral; it doesn't work. Mm. And so I, yeah, and then um, I think from the election, I saw so much hypocrisy from the people I thought were on my team. And it just didn't feel honest anymore. And then I reexamined my positions and looked into principles. And I have three older brothers who are all libertarians and my dad's a libertarian. Um, And so those principles are just so strong. Like you can really go to them. Yes. And uh, so I started exploring that and I realized that pairing those principles with attacking you know progressivism as it is today is a very strong combination of weaponry so i just went for that and uh as soon as i got my first like hate post from like this guy who works at vice he he tweeted my stuff and they and it got roasted i basically blew up overnight whatever 3000 followers and it went up to like 6 just from the hatred <laughs> so i was like that's awesome. I was like, I looked at it like from a physics perspective, like a plane that's trying to take off needs the, the resistance under it to push it up. So I never tried to hide or kind of go around resistors or haters. I, I utilize them and they're important uh, and I have fun with them too.
0: I don't even hate them. They're just... <laughs> They're just res They're really the ones who are supporting you, really, because, I mean, they're giving you the, you know, they're actually handing you the, here, you're a star now because we're creating so much controversy out of what you're doing in your cartoons that they're just handing you the, the keys to the, the star, you know, to the ship, basically. And there's also
1: engagement and interaction with algorithms, and, and when you understand sure, yeah. social media and things like that, you will also benefit from people just arguing with you. So... That's important. Now, I mean, I love uh, real quick. I want to say, isn't it funny that your friends were saying that you were making Obama look bad when really Obama makes Obama look bad and, and Trump <laughs> makes Trump makes look bad <laughs> That's and, right. and all these efforts make these efforts look bad. But um, I just thought that was something important to, to laugh at right there. Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny because the, the meme was, uh, you know, he's notorious for dropping the mics and everyone just he drops a mic and sings a little bit and smiles and everyone looks away from the carnage. Um, and, uh, I drew a meme of him at the podium and in, instead of the mic, it was a bomb he was dropping. Oh, nice. I got so much flack for it. They were like, yeah, what are you? and I was like, what, what, I mean, are you really not acknowledging this? Like, yeah. you're really not going to use this, you know, like this time to be like, criticize. The, the best thing you can do is criticize the people who are your leaders. Like, that's how you keep things tight. You know, it's right. like, right. it's like a coach or a ba- oh, like a basketball player spending the game criticizing the other team's play as opposed to their own and um and that's right. it's just not how you make a better team so does, I, I thought that was confusing
1: does debate spark your creativity
2: uh sometimes only if uh if some of the counters are so absurd that i can make a meme out of them it's really I, like self fulfilling it's right <laughs> yes yes
1: i <laughs> I actually had a question ready for you, and it said, have you ever read stupid social media comments that inspired one of your cartoons? So the answer is yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think
0: I probably can <laughs> <laughs> Well, just- that's the thing. I mean, like you know, they do inspire. I mean, because you hear the stupidity coming out of people's mouths. But like what what's funny is it's like you were saying like Obama, you know, and, and, and again, we're in this world now where if Trump did the exact same thing Obama did,
1: Pay, which do. he yeah. has,
0: right? Like the the war in Yemen, right? For example, he started it. Obama started it, right? Trump's now involved in it. Yep. But like what I'm getting at, it's okay when he does it, when your guy does it, but it's not okay when Trump does it. You right. know, it's it's just like this stupid goes on. Like if if Trump raised taxes, which Obama has, it would be like the end of the world. You know what I mean? So this is what I'm getting at. Like it's just it blows my mind where you can have two people say the exact. And yet one is and one's God.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it goes the other way too, uh, as far as like when your guy is doing stuff, you lend them the right. level. And then you're surprised when the next person you don't like has the same uh, Batman suit on. Uh, and you're just, like, <laughs> like, yeah, what you did, you know, like each side does this. They, they prop up the administration they love and then they run with it. And then you know, I would say there, there's something that uh, Milton Friedman, I think he coined, which is the the tyranny of the status quo, which is, is probably a good thing. It's also it's like a bad thing because it's what makes government inefficient. But I also believe government should be inefficient. So that's a different uh, conversation. But you have about a year and a half as a president to do something drastic. And then the teeth uh, of the status quo sink in the banking cartels, all of them, they just clinch Mm -hmm. in and they're like, you had your little shiny spot. Now it's time to go to war again. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I'm never, I'm never really surprised. And because I'm not surprised, I'm often no longer disappointed because uh, it's all a trick. It's like, you can get excited about a a leader. Um, but you're not interacting with a person. You're interacting with a huge, massive growth, uh, called the, the federal government. And, um, for the most part, we have no say in what's going on, which is, I know people are like, well, you got to do something. You can't just be resigned. It's like, no, I think my, my, uh, impact is what I love. It's my family. It's it occurs at the local level. I'd much interact with local government, um, because it's directly applies to my life and exactly in mind and people People need to be, remind, be reminded that they live on the local. They never. People, we don't live on the national level, which is confusing when you're interacting on social media all the time. You actually are tricked into this idea that you're, you know, you're impacted by all of these things directly. But really, you're just typing on your phone, and the person at you know, McDonald's is going, "Hey, your order, your order, sir." It's exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I have to. That's, shut that's a great. I'm yeah. going to ruin this guy. I'm about yeah, to- Jim Bob
0: I'm with you 100 percent man because you're you're correct I mean really uh the the federal government shouldn't have really anything to do with our lives right and in reality and yet it shouldn't exist they they shouldn't exist but they've been doing it more and more their power is expanding and uh, again it should be localized because we have different cultures and what you're trying to do is what we talk about on this show And the whole purpose of the Launchpad Media is to expand culture, to change culture into thinking about freedom and liberty and that we own ourselves and we should make decisions. And we know how to make the best decision based on our subjective values. Right. Right.
2: Yeah. And a part of being alive and being human uh, in a free society is the freedom to make really bad choices also.
0: So Absolutely. Yeah.
2: I've gotten to where I am from a lot of bad choices and it's like,
0: <laughs> right. You couldn't, like I, yeah, you couldn't write. should have gone to law school instead of radio school. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So
2: yeah, that I think I, I align with all of that as well. And, and so, yeah, there's no, I also, I'm not a, I'm not an idealist. I, I realize that some level of at least my own interaction and interpretation of libertarianism, I found myself sneaking toward trying to push a utopian vision where government doesn't exist. And then I realized that government is humans, like it, they're humans who seek certain positions of power. And there's a reason that it emerges. And I believe that the human thing that emerges. Right. I was talking to my friend Josh about this and are you talking to Josh Glossom? Glossom, awesome. yeah, Josh. Yeah, love,
0: he was on our show. Yeah, I love Josh. He's
2: great. Great guy. So I, I talk with him a lot um, about these things. And uh, a recent discussion was about how, let's say you have a village of a hundred people. They lived free of a state. They are flourishing. So the moment something starts flourishing, the human need or impulse is to protect it. And to protect it, you then get these volunteer militants who kind of go, I'm going to, we should protect it this way. And then they create a state like as a natural response to protecting the thing that they've created, ironically, out of no state uh, being there in the first place. So it's this paradox. So I understand that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think people want to be governed, they just don't want rulers. And there's a difference. And, and again, if you go into a situation where you have a voluntary government, where like church would be a great example of a right. voluntary government, where nobody's forced. Like if you want to just say, you know, church, right. I don't like you anymore. You can leave and you're not going to go to jail. Right. You know, if you didn't pay your dues that week, you know what I mean? Like that's the thing where I think people want governance. I just don't think right. they want government. And there's a difference. And I think it's one's voluntary, one isn't.
1: I definitely think that it is human nature to do that. But I also think that when you start to learn about things like ego and hubris and where all of the rule making seems to come from ego and it's to protect it. And we have a very a unified unconscious right now, especially with social media. And, and there's definitely a huge divides happening as we're seeing. So yes to all of that. I agree with what you guys are saying. I, I do want to know what you've had the most pushback on that you've ever done? What cartoon have you had
2: the most people angry with?
0: That is awesome. That is awesome.
2: Probably some of the gay and trans stuff, which
0: (laughs) I was actually looking at that. Yeah.
2: And when I attack trans stuff, I really don't care once people are adults, like whether I agree with it or whether it's a debate about biology, it's like I can put my effort in there or not, but really when it, starts impacting children. Like I have two children and children will believe anything. I can convince my daughter she's a a rhinoceros by the end of the week. And Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) I really attack that stuff. And I I try to place the innocent in the memes as a way of controlling the context of the conversation. Otherwise it goes into wild West and then you find yourself arguing about something ideological that doesn't really matter that's where I put my foot in. So like, yeah, I think I get the, I get the, well, I I get it from still like lingering comedian people from, from LA. I did one where it was uh, the mommy leaning down and saying, you know, Timmy, you know, is supposed to get his surgery, but he's doing as fast as possible. And the little girl says, well, you said Timmy would get his boobies in time for my birthday party. And, and um, it's just (laughs) right. the, a hyperbolic example of what yes. we're actually talking about and without the limits that are placed on these things. And I don't mean government. I, I talk from a cultural persuasive voluntarism point of view where you can't legislate morality. You, you can try, right. you can try to nudge, but you have to use uh, reason and criticism and art to sway culture to an agreeable path toward what you think is good. And you have to fight for good. You can't, I've re- also realized recently that um, having a sense of morality, growing up Christian, even having departed from it, uh, going to LA and all that, I believe that a tr- like a free society still needs people fighting for morality. You can't just sit in the pocket of it's all relative because then even people- actually take the responsibility of creating what morality is. So there's this weird balance where, and, and it does exist in libertarianism too, where there's, there's moralists in libertarianism. And then there's uh, relativists in libertarianism and they don't necessarily go head to head a bunch that I've experienced, but it's kind of like an elephant in the room where it's like, okay, push a button tomorrow. Every, everybody's free, right? Like mm-hmm. a free society doesn't mean it's automatically going to be good it, it still needs to be guided. The absence of a government requires some authority, but a voluntary one you can follow, like you said. Uh, not right. that I'm with you. put you in jail for not conforming. Just a, you know, a persuasive entity, and that's individuals. It starts at individuals. Um, and that's why I'm a little bit more vocal more recently with uh, my moral stance on things and and not just discarding. God because you can put it next to a silly, you know, crazy uh, born again or someone else who looks silly in what they're mm-hmm, saying. Mm-hmm. So, so I love, I don't shut any of that down because I believe that morality does need a source that humans interact with. That's not just human. Because if, if humans, the source, I- at least in my perspective, humans are flawed. That's why government's flawed too. Uh, and Ego. so Yeah, you can't ego morality. It has to, it really does have to come from some place that's beyond you, but then you have to submit to the idea that that exists. And then if you don't submit, everything's Mm -hmm. relative and then it's meaningless anyway. So that's actually the inquiry I'm in now. And I don't have the full answer. And I I don't think you're, I don't think I'm supposed to.
0: I'm in the- You're
1: also just a human.
2: Right.
0: Yeah, right. And, you know, again, we can look at spontaneous orders. You know, and, and things happen naturally. I mean, no, you know, centralized planning never really works out to the individual. Nope. You know, the individual, there are things that just naturally occur that we don't need planning to provide. Right. And so, I mean, us as libertarians, we should always be looking at the concepts of praxeology, uh, human action, how this all works out, and that we don't need centralized planning whatsoever. And a lot of these things will just come naturally. Just like how trails are made in the forest, you know that's the example. I was just going to bring up his book, Savage Memes Volume One, and I just wanted to explain just a couple of these. And these are great. I picked out a few of them I wanted to read. You have like two dudes sitting there talking to each other, and one guy goes to the other guy, "People are poor because of rich people," and then the other guy goes, "Cars are slow because of fast cars." That's one of my favorite ones. And then um, there was another one, and it's a little little boy with his mom. And the little boy goes, can I be a socialist? And then his mom goes, you could do anything if they work hard enough. Right? (laughs) Awesome. That is clever. Hopefully you don't mind me reading just a few of these. No, no, no.
2: It's fun to listen to it and think of it in my brain as opposed to looking at it.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's great. And then there's another one. Two dudes are at a campfire. Right? This is great. One guy goes (laughs) to the other guy. We should expand government so we can end oppression. And then the other guy goes... Do you have any oil to put out this fire? See, this is what I'm saying. That's comedy. And it's brilliant. And you're definitely explaining that there is an elephant in the room and nobody is seeing it. And uh, I agree 100%. Now, regarding what you've been doing in in memes and creating this Savage Memes Volume 1 book, have you ever, like, received any, like, threats? And, like, what kind of threats are you getting? And if you are getting threats, which you said you did... But like, which one was the best one? I mean, has there been murder? Like, I'm going to kill you like that. It's
2: more like you should die a terrible death. And which usually I respond to, like, you know, you're removing yourself from the action. So you're a coward. At least if you're going to say that, at least say you're going to do it. Not just I should die. (laughs) Right, Right. Yeah. And anyone who makes threats, they're cowards. And most anyone who's crazy enough to hurt someone doesn't make a threat. They just do it. So uh, I don't really pay attention, but it's more like character assassination. It's less threats. It's more like you hate black people, like just these general things that I'm just used to by now. Like, I can't even put time in responding anymore because I've been naive to thinking like that person wants to have a conversation with me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, they
2: don't. No. So no, nothing crazy. You know, I'm I'm a little more, you know, into showing myself and I recently posted a picture of my family and I've been in the hiding of I'm an artist. Don't, you know, don't put my name out there. I don't want that attention, but I also feel like it minimizes my impact to do that. So I've, you know, I I went on like Colorado public radio with, um, I forget his name. They're, they're super lefty. I mean, they're basically NPR for Colorado state and they tried to, you know, they didn't, they were pretty fair. They didn't try to attack me, but they did confront me on some things. But um, that's the moment where I was like, OK, I'm in the public. Like, I have to accept this part of this thing I'm doing. Exactly.
1: Yeah, yeah it's tough. Yeah, I have a question. Uh, who do you upset more, leftists, conservatives or self-described libertarians?
2: Uh, recently, I really upset a self-described libertarian because I posted something and he didn't quite get the context. It was um, one black dude in graduation clothes, you know, celebrating and the other black dude. Oh, he he said, said, stop "Stop acting white. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, which is like, you know, that phenomenon, that thing exists like that. It does. um, It does. From souls, you know, black rednecks and white liberals it's basically the difference between cultures. And it also shows that blacks aren't monolithic. Like people value different things independent of their skin color. And that goes- Thank God. Most places. I mean, there's a little more homogenous with some Asian cultures, et cetera. But he got so, this guy got so mad. He was like, you're general. It's not okay to draw black caricatures. Like that was the argument. (laughs) And I was like, what? Well, you know, what about like, are you sure you know what character means like like It's a val-
0: pretty bland picture. Here's the thing though. And I had a buddy in the military when I was in the army and he was a black guy, good friend of mine, really super nice dude. And he was telling me like, you know, he did airborne, he did like infantry, he was doing all the stuff and his entire family had told him and this is what pissed him off is that why are you doing that? Only crazy white people do that. Why the hell are you doing it? And he said that to me and he told me the story. I I, I wasn't the one who initiated that conversation. Right. But it's funny is that culture thinks that, you know, he shouldn't be doing that for some reason or he shouldn't be, you know, doing infantry or any of that other. (laughs) So he just got upset about it and he told me about it. So I don't know. You've heard the same thing. Quit being white. Only white people do that. Right. Right. You know, they graduate from college and it's like crabs in a bucket, man. I think all cultures have this. You right. know, if somebody's doing really good, you know, they start climbing to the top. Somebody grabs a <laughs> leg and brings them down. That's why you don't need a lid I, with a crabble bucket. I buckets. think the
1: cartoon does a really good job at showing that success or graduation isn't acting white and it shouldn't even represent something about white people because all of us should be doing is celebrating any success. And when somebody speaks a certain way with or without accents and the, we all think that we have an opinion on that, but but classifying that as a white thing or a black thing. And this is really gross collectivism. And it's, it's not something that we should be promoting to be less racist. Like we should not be yeah. promoting or pro- promoting collectivism to be to be. That's not virtuous. So, and I yes. don't under, that isn't social justice.
0: But and anyway. and we're all. E- but here's the thing: we're all equals, and we're all individuals, and we should be equal under the law. Right? Which we're not. And I give them some benefit of a doubt. I mean, because right. the reason that the whole war on drugs is, is to incarcerate black people. Right. I mean, that was why it was, is a racist law. Our marriage license were created to keep white people f- and black people from getting married. Right. I mean, these are a lot of racist laws.
1: Uh, but it, racist in origin. And now they're just statist. And I think that that's sometimes we just should look at that. As, I, I, you know.
0: I agree. I agree. But what I'm getting at is that we're all individuals. We should be unique and we should be different. And I think we all have our strengths and we all have our weaknesses. And if we we can all agree on that, mm-hmm. then we're, we're on to something. Anyway, so make sure you check out America's fastest growing number one pro-Liberty radio program, Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live is on how many nights per week, Raylene?
1: Every single night of the week.
0: That's right, 190 plus radio stations, coast to coast, And it's pro-Liberty every issue, every time. So check out freetalklive.com. Again, that's freetalklive.com. Anyway, so... This is Mr. Johnny Goddamn Rocket, and we are always launching ideas, and we're talking to Mr. Jim Bob, and uh, he is known, also known as Made by Jim Bob, and his new book, Savage Means, Volume 1. So stick around. We'll be right back. Rock and roll. Born into a family of statesmen, this young man was raised and destined to be a key figurehead in the political landscape. A man who clearly understood the rules of the game and could carry the tune of the state to a T. With his family's influential roles in federal politics, this was someone bound for success. Most people poorly assume that this level of once influence in politics is an aggregate of their moral acumen. The Germans have a word for the spirit of the times, which they call zeitgeist. Ironically enough, though, there is no English translation, but we often make reference to the moral zeitgeist, which we look as the moral spirit of the times. When we look back in history, we see that the moral zeitgeist continues to evolve, but there are those that change with the times, and then there are those who change the times we live in. This story is about the face of contradicting evidence, humbling oneself and against the prevailing winds, helping to usher in a new moral zeitgeist, even at the expense of one's political success. This is a story about redemption. In the mid-90s, many loyalists made their way into Congress as a consequence of Newt Gingrich's contract to America. This oath was a promise of unity and loyalty to the Republican leadership that promoted tax cuts, welfare reform, but also included an increase in military expenditure. A staunch defender of Christian conservative values who voted in accordance with his party. A man who held what some would describe as a cartoonish view of American exceptionalism. After the attacks of 9-11, he was a big proponent of military interventionism. Voting in favor of both the Afghanistan and Iraqi invasion, he held views that were so cartoonish, in fact, that he once called for the renaming of French fries to be called Freedom Fries due to France's skepticism towards the American war efforts in Iraq. Shortly after the invasion of the Iraq War, he attended the funeral of a young Marine who died trying to evacuate wounded comrades off the battlefield. It was at this moment when he was confronted with the reality of the wars he had supported. During the funeral procession at Camp Lejeune, he watched over a two-year-old boy who wept for his father, where in his own words, he realized that this boy would never know his daddy. Most men, when confronted with this horrible realization, run from their cognitive dissidence. He instead chose to confront the votes that would forever haunt him. He ran away from political aggrandizement and instead chose salvation. In an interview on NPR, he said, because I did not do my job then, I helped kill 4,000 Americans. And I will go to my grave regretting that. He came to view those who had promoted the wars in contempt and sought forgiveness from his Savior, the families of those who had lost the loved one, and the people who claimed had been lied to into war. His first act of redemption was to start a letter-writing campaign where he wrote every single service member's family who had died in the war. He hung up pictures in his office in memoriam. He never missed an opportunity to call up members of Congress, top brass, and those in office who perpetuated the war narrative. At a meeting in 2013 held by the Young Americans for Liberty in Riley, North Carolina, he was quoted as saying, Lyndon B. Johnson's probably rotting in hell right now because of the Vietnam War, and he probably needs to move over for Dick Cheney. Throughout the rest of his life, he wrote over 12,000 letters to the families of fallen service members and became a lifelong board member of Ron Paul's Institute for Peace and Prosperity. At the Libertarian Party National Convention, Tom Woods was quoted in a speech saying that he will spend out the rest of his days seeking forgiveness and doing penance for a war he knew was wicked and horrible. This all took place just days before his death in 2019. A man who at first championed the war efforts came to see the atrocities of war that would come to weigh heavily on his soul. This was a man who did everything in his power to fight back against the machine nations of the state and their efforts for perpetual war. He maintained a righteous indignation against the state and helped many people convert to being anti-war and finally found redemption. So let's ring the bell for Walter Jones. And that's for whom the Liberty Bell tolls. last off with Johnny Rocket. I'm here with my Ray Truth, Miss Rayleigh Lightheart. Ooh, what a good show. How are you doing? I am doing well. I'm having a great time with Mr. Jim Bob. Thank you so much for being here, sir. For... Thank you for having me. Dude, great stuff. Great information. I, I love it when we talk about culture because this is the f- that really makes a difference. And this is how we do it. And uh, what we do here, though, on the second segment, it's called Rocket Fire. What we do on Rocket Fire, sir, is I'm going to ask you a series of 10 questions. These questions will be politically related. And if you can answer in between 30 to 60 seconds, that'd be badass. Please, are you ready to play Rocket Fire? Go. (laughs) All right, here we go. Question one. How would you explain censorship to somebody unfamiliar with it? Uh, Censorship? I
2: would say censorship is for the most part, a, um, a government mandated system that, you know, reduces speech to whatever they want it to be. Um, but censorship could exist privately. It could exist on the individual level as well, which means just basically
0: blocking out any info you don't want. Right on. Question two. This is this is a good one. You're gonna like this one. When does a blind person know they're done wiping their ass?
2: <laughs> they have very strong uh, uh nose senses that are enhanced because are they f- I mean come on not only they can smell when there's nothing left but they can hear like really well also so they can just hear it it's done when they hear it when it's starting to so on paper yeah. they know they're finished uh, it's, yeah it's very subtle we couldn't we couldn't possibly imagine hearing that <laughs> but to them it's easy
0: All right. All right. Question three. This is a serious one. Sorry. Are there human sex differences in ability, personality and interests?
2: Yes. Men tend to be dominant and they're interested in things and women tend to be adverse to conflict and they're more interested in people. Um, There's a nurturing side of that. And uh, men want to win. We're pompous. We want to win. We'll do anything to win. Uh, We want to beat ourselves. We want to beat other men. And I don't think that exists generally within women. And I think that's a good thing. I think that's built into uh, why women have children to begin with. I, I feel like they're built for a more nurturing side that men We just... We can pretend we have that, but we really, I mean, if we're honest, we want to put the baby down after like
0: four minutes. That's right. I agree. Question four, if a political party advocates violent actions, should they have freedom to do so or should they be silenced? And what if their messaging incites violence?
2: Uh, I don't buy into censoring even violent calls for action because it's not the that's not the thing you're going to be uh managing you know it's mm-hmm. like so i don't even care if someone makes a direct threat with specific with specifics and time and people because uh all you're doing is trying to police speaking and speaking in mm-hmm. action are two different things like i said before if someone's going to do something violent they're going to do it if they're going to organize it They're going to organize it. If they don't do it on Twitter, they're going to do it in their basement. So it's like you might as well have people say all the shit that they want to say so you know where they stand and you put a little like uh, highlighter on them, Uh, pushing them underground by censoring their uh, freedom to make threats. I even believe
0: pushing them underground is worse. Right on, man. Question five. Do you think people actually believe the social justice warrior crap on Facebook or are they just pandering and virtue signaling to their peer group?
2: I believe the latter. I, I think it's a big uh, media stunt for the most part. I do believe they are teaching these kids critical theory and all that intersectional garbage uh, in colleges, so they have a somewhat of a base that's graduating and going and pushing this stuff up. But really, what it's doing it's, a, it's an outrage culture. And it's a um, availability ca- cascade. It's called that pushes outrage back to the media companies. Keep people online. Keep people's
0: attention. There's. It's really just. It's a uh, marketing campaign. Right on, man. Vicious circle. Question six: Why is it that so many people think that there there is an underrepresentation of black coaches, and that's a problem? But very few think that there's an underrepresentation of white players. Is a problem. So shouldn't they both be a problem or should neither be a problem?
2: Uh, Well, I see uh, neither are a problem from where I stand. But why someone would think that's a problem is because they are uh, regurgitating again, this this nonsense, critical power race theory, which means that everything can be reduced to power. So it makes sense that they would view a coach as being in the power position um, as opposed to being on the team at all as a power position because you have like five houses. <laughs> <shit>. So <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right so it's yeah. not a power position, uh, you know, uh, through symbolism, it's a power position through money. And if you debunk the money, then it's a power position from just general race and how people are treated. And it, it's a circular argument that is, there's no point in even debating those kinds of people.
0: All right, man. Question seven Is bullying a real thing? Now, now, granted, I've seen some fights and some harassment, a little bit, but has media overinflated the term bullying to make you think it's an epidemic?
2: Uh, Bullying is a thing, and it should be a thing. It's a part of how we grow up and figure out uh, how to defend ourselves and the pecking order. It builds uh, into us social cues. There's a natural thing that happens among kids when they're not being supervised, where they sort of figure all that out. And that's really important because it happens in the family anyway. Like your older brothers, I have three older brothers. The bullying, what you would call bullying today was just a natural state of finding your order in the hierarchy. And that exists and that should exist. And kids, we shouldn't be trying to end bullying. We should be teaching people how to
0: interact with bullies. Interesting, interesting, good answer. Didn't expect that. Question eight, can a poor person be white without having white privilege? I figured I'd give you all these social justice questions. This is a good.
2: I thought about white privilege. And I, again, I talked to uh, Josh about this before. And um, I think white privilege itself is a total myth. However, uh, I do believe in cultural privilege. I believe that if you, if you learn the language of the dominant, uh, people in the culture, then you're interesting. Yeah. So if we look at it from a number standpoint, I think we're, I think whites are about 53% of the total population, Mm -hmm. if that's accurate, a recent thing. So the majority, whatever caters to the majority, um, is going to be beneficial. If you learn to speak well, that's going to be beneficial. If you learn, if you learn um, basic mannerisms and um, etiquette that's going to help you in certain situations that are otherwise hard to measure like for everyone. So I do Interesting. the cultural privilege that will benefit whatever the majority is, but that doesn't mean white. Cause if I go to, uh, if I go to Morocco, I'm going to be at the disadvantage culturally based on just simple things you don't know what to do you don't or if I go to Korea I'm not going to know well I do know because I know but some people wouldn't know to like hold your right hand uh hold your right hand to your left hand when you're offering something to someone older than you like there's
0: right, yeah. stuff
2: like that is culturally transmitted and so They're the only privilege that so like white
0: people would have a disadvantage in that situation because our European culture is predominant here in the United States. Let's just be honest. Exactly. So you don't think it's necessarily a white privilege or a black. It's not a racial thing. It's a cultural thing.
1: You guys, it's called tribalism for a lot of people that that would be the term. Okay. And I don't want to cut into your rocket fire, but I do want you to know that's what people say. Well, it's not white privilege, it's tribalism. And it's it's kind of nitpicky, but but it's nice to talk about and, and explain. Go on.
2: Yeah, it makes sense because uh, you can, back to the stop acting white thing, it's like if a black dude uh, is very eloquent, well-spoken, enunciate, he doesn't have any slang, but maybe he can go into it once in a while like Oprah does. Uh, the The thing is, they're going to... Benefit from that because mm-hmm. it, it's, it's math. You're exposing yourself to more uh, tribes of people, so to speak. And uh, there's just an acceptable. It's, it's like how the Chinese come here; they they don't keep their name Jing zwang Dung. They change it to Denise for a reason. That's mm-hmm. cultural advantage, and they know it. And they don't have any. They're not going to have the pride or stubbornness to be like, "No, I'm keeping it." And if you don't accept me. Uh, because you don't want to be able to have to say a difficult name in the office, and they know this. There's,
0: that's a smart tactic. For a I'm situation. with you. Yeah, that's that's great, man. Question nine: What happens if somebody is under the age of consent rapes somebody who is the age of consent? If someone <laughs> <under> <laughs> age rapes someone who's who's an adult, so let's just say, yeah, a kid rapes an adult. It can happen.
2: Yeah. Oh Jesus! I don't well, even know I, what to do with that.
0: I I run, they run.
2: Have, they need. Yeah, they have. They have to be treated psychologically and uh, <laughs> I mean, some some. I mean, there, he, maybe make, make up with their mom or dad. Forgiveness.
0: <laughs> so yeah, I'm just wrong. I'm just throwing it out there. I mean, because it it could happen. It could happen. It probably. I'm happen. sure it has. Yeah. It probably has, but it was probably like a yeah. whatever. Yeah. All right. Question ten: What the hell is a microaggression, <laughs> and if you have a lot of them, could it be a macroaggression, and could that be impending doom? Uh,
2: microaggression is total.
0: <laughs> uh,
2: totally. <laughs> what is it? it what is it
0: though? I, I, I really I, don't know what it
2: it's is. It's as simple as someone would call it. Like if if uh, if I walked up to someone, or I was online at Starbucks with someone who is clearly from a different ethnicity than me but i couldn't quite pinpoint it and maybe i heard an accent and i said where are you from they could very well be born in the united states and still have both of those things and so a microaggression is the assumption that's like a an act of aggression by asking them where are they from because it assumes that they're not from here which is an insult really uh it's because no one people are happy to answer questions about their culture and ethnicity and background because <laughs> we're that's cool because we're narcissists uh, at some level all of us so like it's when someone asks you a question and they're polite about it they're not gonna be like how rude you just assumed i wasn't american and then you'd be like are you american And they're like that's disgusting i'm not a nationalist and just like keeps <laughs> such- <laughs> right
0: yeah you can't anyway so that's rock and fire with jim bob bam give it up Jim Bob, thank you so much, sir. Anyway, so this is Johnny Rocket with Raylene Lightheart. We're talking to Mr. Jim Bob, and you can check him out at madebyjimbob.com. Savage Memes, Volume 1, is his new book. So stick around. We're going to be right back. Rock and roll. Listener, chances are some of you are business owners, entrepreneurs, or have a product that you're dying to bring to market. Well, there's something that you all have in common. You need a killer brand, website, and an all around awesome design to stand out from your competition. Well, I have the solution for you Invisible Hand Design. We've trusted them with Launchpad Media, Blast Up Branding, Liberty Force, and even my wife's presidential campaign website. They do not disappoint.
1: Yeah, didn't they also do the branding for McAfee in 2016?
0: Damn straight. So if your company's image could use a hand, go ahead and reach out to them.
1: Right. They're even offering Blastoff listeners a 20% discount on their first project. Book your conversation with them at invisiblehanddesign.com forward slash Blastoff. Oh,
0: hell yeah. And we could even do one better. If you work with them, we'll feature the project all over our social media page to give you a launch and a little extra rocket fuel in your engine. Anyway, so that is InvisibleHandDesign.com forward slash off Again, InvisibleHandDesign.com forward slash blastoff. This is Johnny Rocket, always launching ideas in your direction. With Johnny I'm here with my way of truth, Miss Really Lightheart. very much. This has been fun. I'd love to rock fire. We're talking to Jim Bob. Jim Bob, thank you so much, sir. I'm, I'm seriously, great stuff. You actually had me thinking about some of this stuff. And uh, I really like what you had to say about white privilege and its cultural privilege. And I, I was more I'm very impressed by that because I think you're right. I think there is a cultural privilege, and I don't think it has anything to do with race. I think... It's just the predominant, you know, culture in that society that you're in. Like, for example, if I moved to Alabama, I am not from there. I would have the disadvantage in that state. You know, I'm not a country boy. Right. So you probably have that a disadvantage said,
1: in a lot of ways. Um, it could be because of your race. It could be because of your gender. It could be because of how you talk, what you eat. I mean, yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Right now, it's not socially, you know, permissible to smoke in society. It's like uh, if you're a smoker, you're. A- outcast. you're a second-class citizen yeah so I understand you know I, I don't have white privilege with that I mean there is nothing to do with whiteness there no. it's just it's such a a social faux pas you know in, in, in you know in regards to like being a smoker nowadays you are a piece of
1: yeah, but there's a funny Key and Peel did that skit where and they basically made a joke about nothing makes white people act more racist than calling them racist. And I think the pushback of being things being implied that the reason why somebody believes something is because they're a racist and that could be totally untrue. When their retort sounds a little racist and it starts to get actually seem like they might actually be a little racist. I mean, we have to be controlling of what we say, how, where we're coming from, really inspect ourselves because white people get defensive and then it starts turning into collectivism and it starts getting ugly. And we got to keep that ego not engaged and not just, just don't accept it. I'm with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: I'm with you, Ray. Yeah. All right. So go ahead. First question's on you. Oh, I had, my uh, goodness. 10, 15 minutes by
1: myself. <laughs> well, you're so good at it. And it's your show. So, uh, part of libertarianism is free association and the rejection of uh, bad ideas, uh, sharing good ones. And we all aren't going to agree. Is there a place for SJWs in this ideology? Why or why not?
2: Yeah, uh, yeah the place for them is in entertainment. And they are (laughs) of my entertainment and I need some of them to make my next book. And, uh, if I change the perspective where it's like competing ideas, Mm -hmm. like they should be able to put those ideas forth and they, um, and they do and they get attacked. So so said it seems like a fair situation, you know, They're, I mean, they have the entire media, all of Hollywood, Uh, all of education now down to fifth grade pushing social justice as a concept. Um, And so the really, I mean, we don't even have a choice at this point. It's embedded. Like we have to either bring it to its horrible end, which is very ugly, uh, or, or we have to somehow scale it back. And I actually don't know how to scale it back. I feel like these things have to run their course, and show how uh, ineffective they are in practice.
1: Mm. Eric July did mention about how leftist logic folds in on itself, is what he said. And yeah, and it really does happen because like the thing that you shared about um, you, have, you can't have an opinion if you don't have a universe, and they say this constantly.
0: That's true. And yeah. then
1: they'll say, you don't have to have a uterus or have A vagina to be a woman and again these are just more like soft concepts that you're rolling around in your head and then it starts to kind of fall in on itself it doesn't quite make sense because it's not a a a total principle that's consistent which is freedom
2: right yeah Yeah. actually the i did one comic of a a man laying on top of a woman and they're having sex and the woman says i don't have i'm not on birth control and he says don't worry i identify as a 12 year old girl and yeah, yeah, the next yeah that's, frame, in the, that's in the book. Is, yeah. this, is this legal? The next frame. But uh, that was like a really crazy extreme version to make people laugh. But in it shows that in practice, these things fall apart. And when they fall apart in practice, that's when you also you get cannibalism, because in practice, that's when individuals go face to face.
0: I was reading your book. OK, so again, I, I read it last night. It's great. It, it's really good, man. I, I'm, I'm actually you. I'm a I'm a huge fan Super high quality. The illustrations are great. They're funny. And the thing is, you really left no stone unturned. But is there any subjects that you just will not touch, like, in regards to memes? Uh, Is there a place that you're not going?
2: I don't know. People always ask me that. And I always feel like trying to identify where I wouldn't go and saying it is going there. (laughs) um I'm not sure. I think there's something in the – there's something that I haven't gone entirely into, which is uh, Hollywood propaganda, Hollywood pushing, like, uh, satanic messaging. Okay. Really – that I believe is really dark and uh, um, pushing pedophilia, uh, stuff like that that I really – that really shit that scares me because I have two daughters, um, trafficking, all of that, all that stuff is really dark and any subject I haven't gone. Um, it's because I haven't figured out a way to make it funny, not because I want to stay away from it. Um, I trust okay, my sense sense. in format. I mean, there are, you know, like it's, you can't, the, the amount of protected classes now that are existing makes it hard to overtly attack what would look like groups. Uh,
0: exactly. Like, yeah.
2: So it gets a little dicey when you try to like, if you can't criticize blacks cause you're, then you're racist. You can't criticize Jews then you're anti-Semitic. You can't create, you just name the list. Like you just list it and, uh, you realize like, wow, well that's the purpose of satire also. So that makes me, it forces me into a creative space, uh, to relay these things. And I've tested them. I've, I've criticized, um, certain aspects of, you know, what would occur as anti-Semitic making a joke about Hollywood, which is kind of implying something, but it's also not anti-Semitic. It's showing that there's something going on in Hollywood. And then I had another character calling it anti-Semitic to criticize Hollywood, which is my way of pointing at things that exist without making some broad generalization that's like ill intent or whatever. So there's ways to do, to expose. And I think every group, if they identify as a group, like if you're fighting anti-collectivism, then you have to fight anti-collectivism, but also acknowledge collectivism and attack and, and criticize it. Otherwise we're going to, there's something really nefarious going on. Whereas like the more protected classes we create, And the more agreement we create around not being able to criticize them, all they have to do then, whatever protected class it is, is get elected into office and then you can't criticize them. Exactly. Simple plan. Uh, So that's why, like what you were saying about defending racism, if someone calls you that, you get all flustered and you end up, you know, spewing more. (laughs) uh, I feel like it should be in a way, People should be more aggressive with what they're criticizing. And the more people who do that, the harder it is to uh, create this um, controlled, you know, this, the range of acceptable discourse. Exactly,
0: Mm. exactly.
2: That's why I don't really hate anyone, even like Alex Jones or anyone who seems crazy, because it's really not about the ideas. Those can be debated separately. It's more about the principle of, you got to let the loudest people also say the crazy because there's always like 5% of truth in it that's up to people to find and go with it
0: how they will. I'm with you, brother.
2: Okay, Raylene, prepare for landing. Roger
1: that, Johnny. Seatbelts and shoulder harnesses. Your body, your choice.
0: <laughs> Any gear in downward expansion.
1: NAP initiated.
0: <laughs> Anti-state superchargers. Defragged and woke. Letting lights and guest websites. Jim Bob, Jim give Bob. us your dot com, Jim sir. Bob. Made by Jim Bob. <laughs> I am dying right now. And that's
2: it. This you have nothing wonderful. else. You have
0: a. Tw- you have a Twitter. Do you twat on Twitter?
2: Yeah, I don't twat. I. I. That place is just a wasteland. Even Facebook is just rough now. I, I feel like. I feel, Instagram it's is only until I get banned. Oh, yeah, you will. I will. Eventually, Mance Raider just
1: got uh, banned from Twitter. Who? Oh, Pete man. Raymond.
2: Uh, I don't know who that is.
1: Mance Rader. Uh, he's uh, wrote uh, the Freedom Through Memedom, a, a book similar to yours. Oh, cool. I'll
0: yeah. Look at them. Yeah. So, yeah, he got banned. Uh, there's a bunch of people getting banned from Instagram everywhere. Um, that's fine. Whatever. <laughs> anyway, so, uh, dude, seriously, thank you so much for being here. And if you want to hear more of Jim Bob... Please, how do people do that, Raylene? Because this is your part. Oh, well, if uh, you, you want the it. script that we do. <laughs> if you man. like
1: the show, then please make sure to go to supportblastoff.com and subscribe. And give us a dollar an episode to hear The After Party. And it's only $2 a show to get the all-nighter, too.
0: Okay, there you go. So if you want to hear Jim Bob talk more philosophical, because <laughs> we love it. <laughs> give us a buck. No, nope. All right? Nope. We love you. <laughs> I'm not going to say. <laughs> alright how's that quit being anyways so guys thank you so much we love you guys thank you for listening and again check us out at supportblastoff.com to hear more Jim Bob so thank you guys so much rock and roll Johnny Rocket signing off